You found it. No nonsense. No scripts. Real people on real issues. Hard hitting and action packed with logic, reason, and common sense. Everything you need and everything you've been looking for in a podcast. This is Dynamic Independence with Johnny Anderson, Bruce Adams, Marty Foster, and GP. Welcome to it. Good day, Bruce. Good to see you. How are you? Good day. Um, Helping out live. Doing well. Fantastic. You know, we get Marty tomorrow. He actually, he told me he's going to be on tomorrow, and, uh, and I, I'm really looking forward to that. Awesome. Yeah, looking forward to it. There's been uh-huh. some interesting Middle East stuff been going on. There has. Interesting to have his... Uh, yeah, there, there has, yeah. Opinion. Something about, a, something about a, a Navy vessel being sunk in the Gulf of Amman this morning, and then something about a uh, oil refinery going up in, in Tehran, South Tehran today. I Yeah. Strange how those things happen. Yeah. But let's get into the pressing things, at least I think today, uh, and this is some dangerous rhetoric that's coming out of uh, of China. They are saying now, and this is, of course, that Newsweek's reporting that the Chinese state media uh, has said, and of course, you talked yesterday about their uh, one of their propaganda ministers or whatever. I'm sure they've got several, but uh, one of their propaganda ministers uh, said that they're suggesting that the country should prepare for nuclear war with the U.S. Okay, so this can only mean one thing that when, when you're saying that this can only mean one thing. And we discussed it yesterday. And that is when you are a nation and you deliberately launch a biological attack against another nation, the recipient is then to respond with a full thermonuclear, I don't want to say annihilation, uh, but yeah. Now, I know we're talking here about a lab leak theory, and I I hate that they're doing that because that's what they're going to try and use to skate around that. It's not a leak. You've got even the big guys like Steve Bannon and company, and they're more well-versed in all this stuff than we are. They know people behind the scenes, and and they they get sit-downs with people like Trump and, and, and all the rest of them and people in the inner circle. We don't. They're even saying, this is not a leak. You don't let them control that narrative. This is not a leak. The gain of function does not make it a leak. We already know that this is a bioresearch facility. We know that it's run by the PLA. If it comes out that it was intentionally released, well, <laughs> I, what what else do you want me to say? I think that that talk like this is uh, is extremely dangerous, even to be throwing around. I feel like we're, at least from my standpoint, I feel like we're living the time period of when our parents were growing up during the Cold War, mutually assured destruction with the Soviet Union. You talked yesterday about China's nuclear capability. We don't even know how sophisticated or or I mean we know we know that they have them but we don't know the amounts we don't know where they are at least unless that's I'm sure a lot of that's probably classified even if they do know well the the estimates I heard was 250 warheads currently 250 um yeah that that was in relation to the article I was reading that was talking about those two nuclear uh reactors that they had online now yeah. uh, the uh-huh. breeders mm-hmm. by 2030 they'll have the 1500 warheads roughly so yeah we'll talk about 2030 here in just a few minutes because you might need to build back broader after that but my problem is is i'm i'm having trouble deciphering which way this is this is going to play because i look at the individuals that are now fostering the agenda i'm talking about like cnn and and the like a year ago this was all a crazy conspiracy theory do you remember Everything was a crazy yeah. conspiracy theory. No, no, we can't talk about that. 
all Trump and Pompeo, those those crazy loons, they don't know what they're talking about. So we went through an entire year of the media crying wolf, and now something real comes along, and now they seem to be shifting. Even Chris Cuomo is shifting. That makes someone like me nervous. What do they want? I, I remember... And maybe this is just, you know, off in left field somewhere. I, I don't know. But this is just my brain working. I remember the video we played here about uh, all the world leaders, you know, Trudeau and uh, uh, WHO people and Klaus Schwab and uh, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, what the hell? Uh, Prince Harry, Prince Charles and, and Tony Blair and all the rest of it. This build back better crap. This this sycophantic idea about uh, this uh, Agenda 2030, World Economic Forum, Great Reset. You, you want to talk about a pandemic? You want to talk about a pandemic for the last two years? It's mentally deranged elites that are the pandemic. That's a pandemic. You want to talk about a pandemic that we've been dealing with for the last 24 months? It's that. But I digress. I remember Prince Charles saying very distinctly in that compilation that we played, we must pull all levers at our disposal. And that includes if you are losing, you will take the nuclear option. Now, I'm not saying that that's what they're doing, but I'm certainly saying that it is an option. They will strike if they are backed into a corner. And I'm talking about the elites. They're not against China. They're working with them. Make no mistake about that. When you see people come out and, and and talk about the leak at China and, and the Chinese coronavirus, they're not talking about China per se. They're talking about the elites, too, that are in bed with China. And, you know, I half think that now you're starting to see some, <clears throat> shall we say, dissent inside the corporations. I think they're starting to get a little nervous. You see, they all jumped on board with this idea. Hey, yeah, we're going to take over the world. We're going to uh, we're going to unify everybody. We're all going to get on board with this. The future is going to be ours until the truth starts to come out. Then what are you going to do? You thought you could clamp down on everything and everybody and vertically integrate everything in a short amount of time. See, they were supposed to do this over a long period of time. This wasn't supposed to happen this fast. And they've made so many mistakes with it. But I think now you've got some corporations that are starting to back away just a little bit. Is China going to go down alone? No, I've never once believed that. I personally think that they will start taking some of their uh, <clears throat> Western sellouts down with them. The Davos group, for example. I, I mean, that's public enemy number one. I, I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're in, in Europe. I don't care if you're in the United States and Canada. That's public enemy number one for us here in the West. They're moving so fast on the European continent that they don't even care anymore. They're not even legislating at all. They're not even working things through their parliaments anymore. They're just handing them down from Brussels saying, here's what you're going to get. Like that's that's doubling down to and all that's coming right out of uh, of Davos, all of it, all of it's coming out of the World Economic Forum. You can go on over to their website and and take a look at what they're talking about. It's not us saying that. You got Klaus Schwab saying, uh, "Well, we're going to have uh, an integration of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities," and all of a sudden, uh, a digital wallet pops up out of the EU saying, "Here's what you're going to get. That's going to contain all these things." You think that these these jokers in Brussels? are intelligent enough to figure that stuff out and come up with a scheme to put that together? Absolutely not. They come from think tanks down there in Switzerland who work in collaboration with all the tax-exempt foundations. The Gates Foundation, the Clinton Foundation, the Obama Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, all the rest of it. They're not even hiding it anymore. The, the new thing that's out now is Build Back Broader. There's a, there's a new paper that was out this morning. It came out this morning. I got a notification from someone else sending it over to me saying, yep, they're saying build back broader now. 
A new paper was out this morning talking about the reset of the finances, reset of the banking system, and well, they've collaborated with people like the Rockefeller Foundation to put all this together. They're not even hiding it. But I, I'm kind of getting off track here. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to I want to stay focused on this China thing. But it, it all it all works together. They're all tied together. They're all working together. The deal was China gets to build themselves up if they agree to a certain set of circumstances. We get our jobs shipped out over 30 years. We get deindustrialized. We get collapsed and brought into subjugation. That was the deal. China's double crossing that deal. They were supposed to agree to the one child policy. Now they're saying three plus children. Wasn't supposed to be any expansion by China's military. They weren't supposed to expand outside the South China Sea. Now they're moving beyond that. They've built up their military. They weren't supposed to do that. China wasn't supposed to have a blue water navy. It was supposed to be NATO. It was supposed to be the, the new European army that they wanted to stand up, that they've been trying to stand up for the last decade, that they've been turned down at every corner for. That was supposed to be the, the enforcement globally, and China was meant to be the manufacturing arm of that. That was it. That was the only deal. But both sides have now run into a problem with it. China's expanded. They've double-crossed the West. The West is now double-crossed because they're looking to offer up the Chinese for this uh, this lab thing. The Chinese didn't come up with that. Now, I, I, I agree that there's a lot of blame to lay on the, the Chinese government here for this, but they didn't come up with that. They, they, they didn't put all the stuff together. You might have had the, the Chinese toying around with viruses, sure, but they didn't know how to weaponize it. Not, not to that level. The Western elites gave them that technology. All the Fauci emails are out today. You've got numerous, numerous organizations. I, I've got all 32 of them, all, all 3,200 of them. I had them, I, I downloaded them this morning, but those are obtained by a FOIA request. They're out. We'll go through some of them here today. You've got multiple people in different independent news agencies that are, that are now going through them and they're releasing them as they're going through them. The collusion here is ridiculous. It, it's insane what's happened behind the scenes, but we'll talk about that. Nuclear war with China. Your thoughts? I, honestly, it would be pretty dang foolish for China to do something like that because I honestly, I think it's saber rattling. I don't really think they intend to do nuclear war because if they did nuclear war, it's they're they're shooting themselves at that point because our nuclear facilities, they're shielded against any kind of nuclear blast. Number one. Well, so we also have send, we also have missiles in other countries. Like, for example, the U.S. has nukes in Germany. The Germans don't have access to yeah. them. But I mean, what, what are you going to do? And not to mention, we've got ballistic missile submarines yep. that nobody knows where they are. Uh, and the, <laughs> the, those those guys are, are deployed all around the world and they will hit you anywhere on this planet. Yeah, uh, effectively, we have a dead man switch. You hit us and nuke us. Well, OK, well, uh, there, there's packages on the way to yours. So and then the other thing is, is we, we have defense systems that um, have the capacity to shoot those down. Uh, so they, they may launch them and they may never they may not ever reach their target but they'll get a retaliation. Well, are, are you saying, are you, Bruce, are you saying that the Chinese don't have the, the accuracy or the capability to, to hit things with their missiles? That I don't know, actually. Um, if, it, if it follows suit with their other designed things, it's, it's going to be kind of like Syria shooting missiles at Iran and ends up in Lebanon. <laughs> it's oh, going to be something like that. You mean Israel. But they could have been, you said Iran. What did I say? Was, the Syrians launched missiles at Israel and ended no, up in Iran. Lebanon. You said Iran. Oh, did I say Iran? Oh, my <laughs> said, bad. But well, it wouldn't surprise well, me if they same. ended up in Iran. <laughs> same. Yeah, my bad. Um, same uh, yeah. Same difference. The point is, is they would miss more than likely. That said, though, they don't have to they don't have to hit, hit us with nukes. That's the thing. They can they can launch nukes and have them detonate 200 miles above the surface and 
just hit us with the EMP, uh, the, knocking out all the power and everything. I mean, that would be almost as bad as a nuke. I would argue worse because the uh, the chaos that would ensue. I mean, you, Bruce, you'd have people doing crazy things like filling up the back of pickup trucks with gasoline. <laughs> True. And then driving well, the, off. The with pump it. wouldn't even work. The the, your, the pump wouldn't even work in the truck, so you wouldn't have True. to worry about that. True. But the 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 only reason I say it would be almost as bad as a nuke is just the fallout. That's the difference. There there wouldn't be the fallout. Otherwise, it's it's just as bad as actually getting nuked. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's uh, that, that's a very concerning headline. You, you don't just come out and start threatening the, the world with nuclear weapons. I understand that that's the uh, that's the response that uh, that we take, but we haven't even gotten to that point yet. There needs to be an investigation and heads need to roll. Although we well, uh, we already know. Uh, I mean, it's yeah, yeah we already know. But the, the thing is, is it, I think China is kind of saber rattling, saying, hey, look, um, you guys dig into this. Uh, we're going to nuke you. I mean, that that kind of seems like what they're saying, which at that point, you're you're admitting guilt, you're admitting guilt at that point. Yeah. So uh, I don't I don't I don't know what they expect to get out of threatening the world with nukes. Well, they're not earning any credibility at the moment, are they? No. Yeah. And at the same time, this is what's crazy. At the same time, the the uh, Xi Jinping was saying that they need to uh, be more empathetic, I guess, or I don't know. They were they were supposed to be more trying to be more appealing to the public or something like that. Uh, I don't know. So it's kind of like a weird double standard that they're doing. Okay, let's get into, oh God, build back broader. (laughs) How how disgusting, how how disgusting is that? What, build back better wasn't wasn't sickening enough? Now it's got to be a build back broader? Who, who comes up with this crap? So again, this is a new paper that's out this morning. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but there's also an article that follows it up on the website for the World Economic Forum. You can hop on over to weforum.org and check out Building Back Broader. It's there. Uh, it's up this morning. Now, it remains to be seen how long they're going to leave it up there, because usually once they start to get backlash on something, they'll pull it down. Uh, so we might have to follow it with the Wayback Machine for a little while. Uh, but this is a new approach to fiscal and monetary policy. What? What? So uh, what? Stakeholder capitalism wasn't cutting it? Or now, now you've come up with this new idea? Now, they lead with the economic shock caused by the pandemic has highlighted the need for improved fiscal and monetary support to ensure a fairer society. Stop spending money. That's a good place to start. Stop spending money. Six trillions now being teed up by the Biden administration. Eleven trillion if you add all the frills that they want to include with it. Stop spending money, you sick degenerates. As countries begin to reduce economic support and protection measures, meaning they're going to stop putting people on welfare, policymakers, meaning sellout politicians, must now face the challenge of a post-pandemic world. Oh, God, no. You're going to have to give people their freedom back. Oh, oh, what are we going to do? A new report by the World Economic Forum's Center for the New Economy and Society, you hear this, identifies three policy pathways to aid this transformation. Who asked for this? Who voted for this? Anybody? Well, it doesn't matter your vote. They, they know what's best for you. Yeah. Yeah. They know what's best. All right. The best thing these people could do, leave. Yeah. Now, they have the paper on their website. It's included in this article as well. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I look forward to doing that on the weekend. That's going to be a good read, I'm sure. They say, read the paper, Building Back Broader, Policy Pathways for a Post-Pandemic Transformation. Okay. Um, I do believe, hang on just a second. I do believe that we actually started um, that the, um, 
the first iteration of this was around a year ago. Uh, and Bruce, if you remember, it was this right here. Uh, we actually covered this uh, in a three-parter, mm-hmm. I think, with uh, or a two-parter, I think, with uh, with Marty. And it was called uh, Emerging Pathways Towards a Post-COVID-19 Reset and Recovery. Well, it seems like they've just revamped it. So they've come up with a cute little slogan, and they've created another BS committee to, uh, to sit down and come up with um, a policy pathways for a post-pandemic transformation. Well, that kind of sounds similar to this, only updated, though, doesn't it? So I'm yeah. assuming that 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 paper is going to be more of the same because this white paper was pretty much what this one's going to be sounding like. I want to uh, I want to talk about actually I want to play a clip here of one of the this uh, this is from the World Economic Forum. And this is the person that wrote the paper uh, and who they consulted with. Again, they're not even hiding it anymore. Uh, this is who they consulted with. Let's take a listen to this. With lights of this, the kind of work that you've looked at before about innovation, about the part of government, the part of the private sector, and how those two things uh, can intertwine. Sure. So the paper you're talking about is not my paper. It's it's a report that's come out of a council that I've co-chaired with Raj Shah, the head of the Rockefeller uh, Foundation for the uh-huh. World Economic Forum. Uh-huh. It's um, a council on the new economic agenda for growth and recovery. And we really begin with the point that, you know, growth, which you were just talking about, it doesn't just diverge between countries, but we don't talk. Oh, now see, they, they consulted someone they can that, that worked on the paper. They consulted with the Rockefeller Foundation. Now, see, that's I'm sure that there's no problem there. They've always been in the public's best interest. They're not hiding it. It's in plain view. Let's get into the paper. Let's get it. I tell you, what, let, let's get into the article. Uh, now, I'm, again, I'm going to read the paper. I haven't done it yet, but the article breaks down what's in the paper. They just kind of compress it a little bit. So let's get into this. The latest white paper published by the World Economics For- Forum's Center for the New Economy and Society. They're going to tell you how to live. Building back broader policy pathways for post-pandemic transformation is the outcome of a set of multi-stakeholder dialogues which engaged six global future councils. I'd love to know who sit on these things. The Global Future Council on the New Agenda for Fiscal and Monetary Policy identified three policy pathways for the transformation of fiscal and monetary policy, which could foster a fairer, greener, and more inclusive, (laughs) you got to have all those in there, post-pandemic world. Let's get into the first point. Bridging inequalities within and across countries in a post-pandemic world. Uh, You have industrialized countries, you have free market economies, and you have totalitarian systems. I would argue that those are inequalities, but that's not because you have governments that are are disagreeing across the board. That's because you have governments that are petty tin pot dictators that rule over their people. So I I wouldn't exactly call that... um, inequality uh, because one country decides they want to have a free market economy and the other one decides that they want to stomp all over their human and civil rights. So you can either have a free market economy under capitalism, shareholder capitalism, not stakeholder capitalism, or you can have the crony capitalism, which is what stakeholder capitalism is, or you can have a planned economy like you have under Marxism. Now, I, I would just go back and I would look at, oh, I don't know, the economy of the Soviet Union, for example, and compare that to the economy of the United States during the same time period. And tell me which one was better. Tell me which one actually had more benefits for their people, which ones were starving and which ones were not. Hell, Nikita Khrushchev, who was the prime minister of the Soviet Union, the head of the Soviet Union at the time, actually visited the United States to look at our farms and look at our communities and visit them to see, okay, what are they doing? 
We don't do that anymore, do we? So some of the points that they get into with this, rising inequality was already a major social and economic challenge before the pandemic. Oh, yeah, I would imagine it's an even bigger one now because of all the money you idiots have spent. Some of the countries hardest hit by the pandemic were already facing the greatest inequalities. Um, wh what about the countries that didn't close? What about the ones that didn't see mass death, like the continent of Africa, for example? Oh, believe me, if they were if they were uh, dying in, in mass down there, you'd hear about it. You'd see it. They'd be all over the TV. Hell, if they were dying in India, of course, they tried to play that one up. That didn't work. That's all gone now. That got swept aside because people started to see through it. The Indian right after the Indian government said, stop saying this because it's not actually happening. Once they said that on the world stage, you notice that went away. They tried Have to do it in South America. That. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. You're hitting exactly what I was going to say. Uh, they were trying it with Brazil. Yeah, with Brazil, but only Brazil. That was only because Bolsonaro. They need Brazil. They need Brazil. They don't have it. They need America. They need Germany. They need Canada. Those are the countries. You notice those countries are the ones being the hardest hit by all this garbage because they need those countries. Those are key countries to have. If you're going to if you're going to take control of the world, you need to grab control of those countries. You can't leave them to, to chance. One of the defining features of the transformation which economies are experiencing is its asymmetric nature. People in lower income work, that's because you shut down all the jobs, and in precarious jobs have borne the brunt of the pandemic-related slowdowns. And of course, they had to throw this in there. And racial, gender, and intergenerational inequalities have been exacerbated in many countries. Uh, of course, you have to throw all those things in there. Most households with limited resources are not equipped to respond to the economic shocks, thus amplifying the adverse effects of the crisis. Then don't shut things down, you idiots. You know, just kind of as a thought here, most of the things they were complaining about there have been solved or mostly solved in Western countries. Yes. We, we don't have problems with those things here. Correct. But, but we do now. We do now. Well, because they've and, created yeah, the problems. Right. But even still, like that before the pandemic, those problems didn't exist, which, yeah, it's another symptom of them creating the problem and then providing the, the solution. But those problems weren't here. Those were other countries. So as a Western country, the more developed, why are we going into these other countries and saying, hey, uh, we got a policy that you should follow? No, you let them you let them decide on their own which way they're going to go. You can't force a policy onto them because if they don't believe the policy or they don't reach a conclusion to where they need that policy, it's not going to benefit their society. You're correct, sir. And then they go on here and they talk about, uh, you know, countries that, that have around the world that have adopted different policies. Basically, they've introduced the, the UBI. That's what they're making the case for here is, is we need UBIs and we need redistribution of wealth and all the rest of it. That's all they're saying. Number two. You're going to love this one. This has got you written all over it. I'm sure that you're going to have a, uh, I, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to start it on this. And as soon as I say this, the look on your face is going to be priceless. Creating progressive, efficient, and fairer taxation mechanisms. Uh, I, I imagine my definition of that and theirs is very different. You know, I, as I was reading this, I was just kind of glossing over this this afternoon when this was sent to me. And uh, when I saw this point, creating progressive, efficient and fair tax uh, taxation mechanisms, I said, there's an easy way to do that. Stop taking taxes. Yeah, that's the <laughs> best yeah. way you can do that. That's progressive. That's efficient. Mm -hmm. And that's fair. No one pays any yeah. taxes. I don't know how much much more fair you can get. Yeah, it's very that's progressive as well. That's it is because, I mean, you're promoting progress to the individual because you're letting them keep their money. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, yeah. progressive in the sense of no government has ever done that before. 
Uh, well, we did until 1913. Yeah. And to be honest with you, have you looked at a at a photo? Uh, well, some video of of the U.S. prior to the year 1913. Man, it's amazing. We had roads. We had bridges. I mean, we, we had all that stuff. You know, pretty, pretty crazy. That yeah, we had all yeah, that I infrastructure, mean, and, and yet we didn't have income taxes. Funny how that works. So they go on to talk about here uh, more proactive and efficient taxation systems must be designed to achieve more efficient taxation of capital, meaning they're going to shut you down, the little guy. Proactive. That's yes. another thing that that sticks out, which means um, that that fits the agenda we were talking about with uh, a digital currency, social credit, you know, those kind of things that fits into the idea of proactive. Uh huh. Now, of course, but see, you're missing the, the bigger picture here, Bruce. This is to improve global transparency. That's what it's for. Uh, it's going to improve you stealing money from me. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. Designing more progressive taxation mechanisms and shifting the tax burden from bottom to the top will be crucial to design more effective, agile, and fairer tax policies. Now, you see... Hold on. <laughs> Go ahead. Tax burden from the bottom to the top. The yep. top already pays 40-some percent of the taxes anyway. 45. And you're going to shift... Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna shift even more onto them. Uh, I, I don't think not, so. Not when not, you are the part of the top. They're the stakeholder, though. They're exempt. Uh-huh. That's the key. Uh, well, that's true. So they don't they don't want any upstarts coming in and threatening. Correct. Their... Correct. They don't want anybody getting in the way of their monopolies. That's it. You got it. Fairer and more progressive taxation will be an essential mechanism to compensate. For the uneven recovery underway, get out of the way and we can stop the uh, the uneven uh, recovery that's underway. Get out of the way. Just get out of the way. It's that simple, but also to provide higher revenue mobilization, especially in countries with lower tax capacity and can contribute to financing social spending, <laughs> social spending and structural reform. Lower tax capacity. Interesting way of wording that. Meaning they have lower taxes. Yeah. And then they go on here to talk about, well, we've recently witnessed an acceleration for the potential of an international agreement on a globally enforced minimum tax rate. No, no. The U.S. banks tried to do that through their mouthpiece called Janet Yellen, and it didn't fly. You had countries like Ireland say, uh, yeah, no, we're not going along with your tax plan. We don't give a damn what your tax plan is. We're keeping our own taxes. That's the other thing with with doing a tax plan like that. You're going to have to have the Western world institute a digital currency, because if you don't do a digital currency, you'll have people like me that'll flip the bird and say, no, I'm not paying that tax. Yeah. Number three, rethinking the roles and frontier between fiscal and monetary policy. Mm -hmm. Now, what is this, you might ask? Well, this is a fundamental rethink. Now, see, you've got to change everything. This is a fundamental rethink of the frontier and roles of fiscal and monetary policy. This might be required. This might be required. I feel like Schwab had a hand in this when, when you start reading stuff like that. Enha of course, it is his group. Enhancing the coordination between different tools and policies during recessions as well as recoveries. So basically, they're engineering the booms and the busts, and they're going to continue to engineer the booms and the busts. And they're the ones that are going to set policy for it. That's all that is. And they're going to change it however they see fit in order to keep them relevant. That's what that means. Although the current macroeconomic framework primarily relies on the central banks and monetary policies from taming business cycles, and again, the aforementioned ensures that they will continue to stay there only under new policies that they write. That's that's what it is. Yeah. And, and to, 
Taming business cycles. Yes. Taming business cycles. Yes. <laughs> a free market, you don't tame a free market. A free market decides where it wants to go on its own. Well, they say that the the effective lower bound problem is imminent. Now, this implies that where the fiscal space is available, this is laughable, fiscal policy will need to play a greater role in supporting the economy. Uh-huh. Furthermore, while current monetary policy tools might be effective at maintaining liquidity, meaning they're printing money at an alarming rate that will cause inflation, which means your income will stay where it's at, but the prices of things are going get to out, get out of control. It's already happening in the U.S. You've been to a grocery store lately? It's only going to get worse, especially if they throw another 6 to $11 trillion on top of it. Oh, and believe me, they won't stop there. They're already predicting for uh, manufacturing stuff a, a 22% increase in the coming months. And then by next year, what was it? Something like uh, a 300% increase based on 1980s numbers for if you were using that for the inflation numbers or, or 70% according to today's uh, metrics. I heard somebody this morning on another podcast talking about uh, we're basically right back in the uh, right back in the, the time period of the 1970s. And he says, no, I'm not talking about discos and wild pants and bell bottom pants. He says, I'm talking about fiscally. We're back at the 1970s where your income has stayed the same and it will drop, but the prices of things are going to increase exponentially. So you're going to start seeing that inflation. Look at the cost of things back in 1970 as compared to people's uh, income. It's the same thing. And of course, you got to the 80s, it got even worse. The 90s, even worse. The 2000s, the 2000s it was even worse. The teens, even worse than that. Now we're into, the, we're into this uncharted modern monetary theory garbage now, and it's, I mean, the sky's the limit. I, I would argue it's the other way around. The pits of hell are the limit. Yeah. Well, honestly, people like this that conjure up the stuff that I'm sitting here going over, that's exactly where those people come from. Agreed. Furthermore, while current monetary policy tools might be effective at maintaining liquidity, as I said before, they might not encourage the structural transformation towards a, are you ready, a fairer, more equitable and sustainable economy. There it is. Uh-huh. Had to throw it in there. Yeah. Now, they go on to say, greening the recovery must become a central dimension of both fiscal and monetary policy if the operational targets on climate change, <laughs> they had to throw that in there, are to be reached by, guess what year? 2030. 2030. How'd you know that? Just a lucky guess. Just a lucky guess, yeah. Businesses, workers, and households will need to be supported through this transition to a low-carbon future, ensuring mechanisms for a just transition are put in place. These measures should be crafted through social dialogue, meaning they're going to tell you how it's going to be, and consultation with all relevant stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Only people they allow. The paradigm shift in physical and monetary policy we are experiencing must be perceived as an opportunity to embrace and accelerate the pace of transition towards a more environmentally sustainable economic future. Hmm. Why is it that we are being told to accept this and no one else is? Because we're the most problematic. Uh-huh. China puts out more CO2 emissions than every other nation combined at a surplus. They're left alone. Rounding off here, a post-pandemic transformation. Transformation. Yeah, I see, it's transformation. Economies were already facing several major global challenges before the pandemic. Global inequalities within and across countries. Deflationary pressures. Aging populations. Oh, that's because you've promoted an anti-family agenda uh, since the 1960s uh, through the United Nations, I might add, uh, as well as climate change and environmental degradation. They just say that inflation was a good thing because they said deflationary, deflationary pressures. Pressures. Yeah. So inflation is not necessarily a bad thing. 
that means you're getting rid of the inflation, which means your currency is worth something. Uh-huh. But the, the problem is some of the measures they take, like increasing interest rates is one of the ways. Basically, they, they have to burn off the excess money, literally. Right. right. Uh, the current conditions have prompted policy innovations and experiments around the world. No, no. It's, it's been arbitrarily handed down. It's, it's not experiments. It's not innovations. This has been a, a force like this has been a force situation where they're holding a gun to everyone's head. Now is the time to prepare for the next phase of the post pandemic world. Does this sound like a cult to you? I mean, it, when, when you start hearing talk like that, now is the time to prepare for the next phase. Like that kind of stuff. Uh, it does. Yeah. Policymakers are challenged to recalibrate their priorities and restructure the ways they support the economy. Why are policymakers charged with supporting the economy? Shouldn't that be the businesses? And I'm not talking about the the insider cronies that you control and have at your beck and call. I'm talking about the small business guys, the ones that have been put out of business because you're sorry asses. They say that by doing this, they will be creating the right environment. You have to round it off with this to shape a fairer, more inclusive and sustainable economy and society. Economies are only fair to one one group, those willing to work. That's it. Uh, a free market. That's who it's fair. I mean, if you come up with a good idea and you're willing to work towards it, it'll be successful. That's just the way it is. I, I kind of wish it was more complicated. Enough. I wish it was more complicated than that, actually. It's, it seems pretty fair to me. All right. So I want to play a clip here. And you might be asking, well, what's what's dear old Klaus up to these days? Well, Klaus seems to be like, it seems to me like he's he's getting a little desperate. Is he having a rough go down there? I Honestly, I think that there's a little bit of uh, what I was saying earlier. I think that there's a little bit of dissent happening within the ranks. Now, see, the problem was the problem with this this world government stuff, uh, and it's been the same throughout history. The problem with this world government stuff is these these megalomaniacs, they can't agree on things because they're too busy fighting with each other. It's always happened like that. So <laughs> And, and I, I'm actually laughing at this, and I was laughing so hard before we actually when it, before we actually started uh, at this clip of uh, of Klaus Schwab because it just sounds it sounds like like an act of just desperation. I mean that that's what I'm taking away from. I'm not being sarcastic, and I'm not I'm not trying to make fun of the guy or something. I mean he does a good enough job of that by himself. But I, I'm not I'm not trying to pick on the guy either. I mean the guy genuinely sounds desperate, and I know you as the listener you can't see this what I'm about to play, but he he's he almost sounds like he's pleading with those that are dissenting within their own ranks to get on board with his agenda. And it's so much so that he's he's actually on the video. He's reaching across his desk and and getting his own book <laughs> on stakeholder capitalism. And he holds it up as in as if to say, you have to you have to agree to, to what I'm telling you. That's the level of this. It, it, again, it, it, to me, it just seems desperate. Pathetic is the word it I is. use. It, it is pathetic. You said it best. He seems like what? Cult leader. I mean, in a, in a failing cult. Listen to this. Finalized maybe what we need is also a new mindset. Uh, it has been mentioned uh, we in the business world, we see now that companies who are not committed to ESG metrics, to stakeholder capitalism, uh, just to stakeholder capitalism, <laughs> that um, those companies are on the wrong side of history. Oh. But it's not only companies. <laughs> I think we also have to ask the question how we can apply the ESG metrics even to governments to oh. uh, because uh, it's not just GDP 
its well-being, its prosperity. Drop dead, Klaus. <laughs> this is called the Jobs Reset Initiative because now they're really going to hammer the businesses. They're going to put them out, of, put them out of business because all the big corporations that are now starting to distance themselves from this whole China mess that they're using, that they're exploiting to try and take over countries and to try and shut down people's economies and and to try and and push all these uh, these vaccines on people that are not actually vaccines through the pharma companies. I think some companies, I, I think some of these companies are having second thoughts based on what he just said there, wouldn't you say? Second thoughts where there's not enough on board. Uh, I'm wanting to say it's about 30% of companies that are on board with this great reset nonsense. Hold on. Is that all? Yeah. It's something like 30%. Really? If you look at all the corporations and everything that are uh, like changing the, the their rhetoric or they're doing the th- things like Coca-Cola and some of the others where they were... Only doing businesses with, uh, or only doing business with businesses that would hire. I think it was like fifty uh, yes. percent of their employees yeah, being yeah. black. Yeah, or, yeah. So you know, we we saw the agenda a while back that they were actually going to change that. We're, they're removing the merit based system and they're replacing yeah. it with this whatever this is this this insanity. Uh, so it's no longer based on merit. It's based on well your identity. That's all it is. Yeah. Well, and it, what it boils down to is people that that are easier to control. And I, I know that sounds a bit racist and whatnot, but the, the black community, the people of color in general, not just black community, are raised in a mindset of, of um, basically listen to your emotions and roll, roll with your emotions. And they have an army, if you will. So why not have that, the, your, the specific groups that you've tailored your agenda or, or under your control, so to speak, why not put them in positions of power and, and control? It, it seems to me also like, OK, so he doesn't have all the, the corporations on board. You notice that he's he's leaving himself another option there. He also said, oh, well, uh, we, we also and he's looking down while he's doing this. Like, you know, he's kind of like looking down and then looking back up <laughs> It's like he's reading off something. And he says, we, we may also have to employ this on uh, on the governments as well. That because you can't get enough of the corporations on board. That's why you can't torpedo the businesses like you were wanting to do. So you're going to use the government now, the power of the state to leverage them out. So you tried to use the businesses instead of the governments to leverage out people's rights, but you didn't have enough on board with it, I don't think, especially now on the other end of this. Now that the, the public has had enough time to digest this agenda, whether they're aware of of Schwab and all his ill intent behind the scenes or not, they're at least aware that their companies that they've supported, such as Disney, they don't want their kids around that stuff anymore. Netflix, they don't want their kids around that stuff anymore. You know, that that kind of stuff. They're well, probably noticing YouTube. that. Yeah, YouTube. Yeah, example. Oh, my God. Some of the stuff that's on YouTube is crazy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, they're recommending that for kids. This stuff, it's on Sesame Street now for kids. You insane? You want your kids watching that? Yeah. Absolutely not. Lose clues. I brought oh that God. up here recently. They're, they're doing uh, transgender, like, I don't know, indoctrinations uh, yeah. with Blue's Clues. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think you're starting to see that the companies get the pushback from the public and they still need the public because the public, let's be honest, we're their product. That's what it is. You can still vote with your dollars, though they're devalued. You can still vote with them. If you don't watch their stuff, then they don't get the revenue. They're based on ratings. For now, yes. Yeah. If if they're able to enact what they're trying to enact uh, yeah. w- with the controls and basically but, if they can stifle all other competition and it's only them 
you yeah. have no choice. You want to watch right. something that's entertaining, right. you're going to have to support them. Right. But it's I think there's too much there's too much dissent at the moment. Otherwise, he wouldn't be saying yeah. that if he was confident uh, yeah. that, that they had a stranglehold on it, then he wouldn't be making statements like that. I've never we've been following him for well over well going on two years now. We've been following him very closely and I've never heard him talk like that. I've never seen that kind of desperation when he's sitting there holding up his book like he's holding Bruce. He's holding it up and he's like he's like smiling when he's holding. His book. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. it's like yeah. yeah, like you're telling companies to get on board with stakeholder capitalism and you're holding up a book called stakeholder capitalism written by you. And you're saying if they don't do this, then they're on the wrong side of history like you're God. No, you're not God. You're a fool. You're, 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 a, you're a sycophantic cult leader is all you are. And, and the corporations and the businesses that you don't have, honestly, I think as this agenda continues, the rest of it, you're going to see more of them pull away from it, I think, because it's stifled innovation. They don't have the market share. It's not there. You're still going to have people that want to do business and want to engage in commerce and they'll go outside of the system. And you know what will happen? The people that go outside of the system, they'll outcompete what this is. They will. You put a free market system against this abject hell on earth that these people want to create, a free market system will put them out of business tomorrow. Assuming they make a good product. The the problem is, is many of the, uh, the companies that are jumping on board uh, kind of have a... Um well, for example, Amazon, they're on board with the ESGs and all this nonsense. They just bought up MGM. I mean, so just just little things like that, that if they start buying up competition and start, you know, strong arming us into these positions, I mean, yeah, but they either to you're going to go without or. Yeah, they have to. Uh, they, you know. They've got a lot of fronts that they're trying to that they're, that they're trying to conquer all at once here. And I, I think that that might even be another thing that they're they're struggling with. And that is you've got not only the dissenting businesses and the corporations, the ones that are not on board, as he was talking about, you've got governments and state governments that you don't have under your control yet. They don't have all the, st- all the state governments in the U.S. They don't have them. They don't have all the uh, all the people in the right mindset and all these governments. They've gone through and they've bought off all the leadership, but they don't have the people under that, the people that under that that actually want to govern and do right by their people and their constituents. They don't have all those people. So it's not enough to, to go in and just do that. Also, they have to contend with the populist movement that they're ignoring. That's the other thing. Uh, and that I think that frightens them more than anything else. But they're just not saying it. So I, I think that they're I think that they're a little nervous. And and you can see that in the fact that the way that they're doubling down faster and faster and, and more and more. Yeah. The, with the, the thing is, though, is this is it, it, it's I don't know if they're they're truly are they truly afraid of this and they're doubling down because they think they're winning or are they doubling down because they they are losing their grip. That's that's where I don't know what their thinking is, what what their mindset is. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I, I think they realize they're not winning and they're they're trying to grasp at things. But I th- there is an argument to be made to, that they think they're winning and they always think they're, they're, they're doubling down. Yeah, yeah. They, they always they always think they're winning. And I, I, I'm making the comparisons, and you're you're 100 spot on. They're losing, but they think they're winning. And, and it's and you can tell by that desperation right there in, in, in old Klaus's voice, even the tones of his voice and, and his facial expressions. You can see it. The last days of the Nazis, they thought they were winning. Hell, at, well, at least the ones that still had brains said that, uh, w- you know, what are we doing? We're fighting armies that don't exist. What, what, what is this? But 
they always double down in in the fact that they think, okay, yes, we've already got this. Yeah, we're, we're already there. We got this. No, you don't. They will not accept reality. It's the same thing as a cult leader. Jim Jones thought he was winning. When the cracks started to appear and when you had groups of people that wanted to leave, you know, the dissenters, you had members of that community that wanted to leave. What did he do? He walked them out to the truck that was going to take those people to the airport and said, it's okay. It's okay. You go on back to go on back to the United States. I mean, you can always come back. We, we still love you. You can always come back. And of course, what happened after that? Most of those people were gunned down at the airport. They didn't leave at all. And what did Jones do? Gave a nice speech, called everybody out, gave a nice speech. We're stronger than ever. In fact, we're so strong that we're all going to commit suicide to prove how strong we are. It's the same thing with these people. They think they're winning all the way up until the end when they lose. It's just a matter of how bad the damage is going to be. That That's all it comes down to is, is how many people are they going to take down with them and how many people are going to get hurt and, and mixed up in this this mess. You know, when, when Klaus said over a year ago, when, when he said that, um, you know, and I've played the clip here uh, several times when he says that um, it's actually, you know what, I'll just play it. Some people may say this is too idealistic, um, but what other choice do we have? At least we have to try. Uh, we may fail, and um, next generations, or even we ourselves, will have to pay the price for our failure. At least we should try. Now, when he says that some people may say that this is too idealistic, he's talking about his view. As he's sitting there in that video that I played earlier, him holding up the book, his own book of stakeholder capitalism, that's idealistic. This idea that he puts out of uh, this uh, this Great Reset, he puts that book out, COVID-19 and the Great Reset, a month after the pandemic started. You think Klaus sat down and, and penned out that book 24-7? No, no. You see, as this continues to move with the, uh, the Chinese implications of the bioweapon and the lab theory... As that moves forward and that continues to come out, oh, Klaus is exposed here. His group is exposed. And so he knows. He knows. He, he's, he's not stupid. Klaus is not stupid. Klaus is an extremely intelligent man. I'll give him his just due. He's a smart guy. Idealistic. I would say he's, I would say he's intelligent, but he's stupid. It, at the same time, yes. Yes. Uh, and, stupid and same, meaning uh, unwilling to listen to reason, yes, wisdom, those yes. kind of things. And, and you know, willfully choosing not to. And you know something, though? That's the, that's the mark of a lot of tyrants as well throughout history, is exactly that. Intelligent, but man, they are just thick because they won't listen to anyone else because they've got like this inferiority complex. When you gain a certain status in life, whatever that is, whether that's it's celebrity status or political status or, or whatever, you develop an inferiority complex. You think that you're better than everyone else. Klaus is at that level. He's got that inferiority complex. He thinks that he knows better than everyone else. That includes people that own businesses. This guy's an academic. He's not a businessman. He's an academic. And at the end of the day, if you follow his edicts and his idealistic uh, insanity, what is he? He's a common thief. That's all he is. Look at what he's done. Oh, he will be held accountable for this. He will be put on trial for what he's done. It will happen. Now, how that's going to go and how long that's going to take, I don't know. But people like that, people like that are on the wrong side of history. To be my pessimistic self, I think he'll die of old age before that happens. Well, usually, usually people, people like that, they usually don't make it to trial. Uh, and the reason they don't make it to trial is because, oh, here's a here's a frail old man. Are you really going to put him on trial? And no, we, we can't. No, you can't. You can't put him on trial for that. No, he's he's not fit. He's not physically fit to, to stand trial. He's not mentally fit to stand trial. Something will come up. 
Something will happen. But again, in the meantime, like I said, how many people are you going to take down with you? That's the sad part. He even says, he even said in that clip that I just played, he even says, we may fail and we may pay the price. You're going to pay that price, sir. You are going to pay that price. You are losing. I said it last year. Whenever you saw these governments that were that were touting this this great reset agenda, when we saw the, the national governments all saying the same thing and the Chinese government, they were all saying the same thing, but every country was sealed off. Every country was cut off from the other one, so you couldn't tell what was going on in every other country unless you really looked for it. They were all saying the same thing. Hell, they're all still saying the same thing now, but you can't find any information in each country. Each country has been sealed up. All this stuff, all these talking points, they're all coming from the same place. All of them. You know, I, I said a year ago, I said, hop on over to the World Economic Forum's website. Have a look at what they're doing. They're not hiding it. It's out there in front of the world. They're telling you what they're going to do. And of course, you dismiss that off as a conspiracy theory and all the rest of it. But you got anything else there on uh, on Klaus? We're getting close to time here. I do want to spend a couple minutes on some things. I wanted to get into some Fauci emails, but we really don't have time to do that today. Uh, we can cover some of that stuff tomorrow uh, with Marty. Uh, do, do you got anything else on uh, on uh, on Klaus and company? No, no. I, I, like I said, I think at this point, I I, I think they're they're grasping, and uh, I Definitely. think the agenda is falling apart. I hope. I hope that's true because I, I hope the the people of the world um, are are becoming wise to his schemes. Well, look at okay on that point, and maybe let's just expand on that for a minute. Uh, maybe this, yeah, maybe we'll just finish off with this. Let's look at their online activity even before this, even before that that desperate cry for whatever that he was just doing. Even before that, back during their conference, they were putting out videos on their YouTube channel. Now, again, their YouTube channel's got about a half a million subscribers. You would expect them to have a decent following with a half a million subscribers, but they don't. In fact, you can't find any of their videos. Usually, how the algorithm works in YouTube is when you have a video that is upvoted and has all these views, then it gets put on the recommended side of things. When we go onto YouTube for research purposes to pull audio or, or video or something for whatever we're doing here, then those are videos that we want to see. I genuinely want to see those. Those never get put onto my feed in my YouTube recommendations. Why? Because the algorithm has to trigger them for, for them to be there. They have to be popular in order for them to be triggered so you can go and get them easily. The problem is, is that they are so hated. They get so many dislikes and the comments are so negative. I've never seen a positive comment on a World Economic Forum video ever. I've never seen one. I've gone down through the comments, not all of them, but just the top ones. I've never seen a positive comment coming from them. They are so hated. They've got so many dislikes on their videos that they're actually delisted. The algorithm delists them. If you want to find the latest from the World Economic Forum on YouTube, you have to subscribe to them so you can so you can actually go to your list of subscriptions and go there to see what they are. If you want to find a good uh, comment, by the way, you have to go two, three years back before they were known. Yeah. That bad. Well, I've been following the WEF for, for several years, but it was just, it was more like a, it was like a finance meeting that would just pop up in Switzerland once a year. You'd have all the finance capital heads of the world get together. You'd have some government people, some banking heads go there and that would be it. That would be it. But it would be public and you could watch it on TV. I, hell, I think Bloomberg had 24 seven coverage of it. Uh, you could watch it and, and you could see what they were talking about. Now, and, and they kind of came out of left field. I mean, I, I've heard of the World Economic Forum I've been, like, for about 10 years. I've been watching them. But over the last two years, right around the time period you're talking about, over the last two years, they have just emerged in this leadership role. And they've just kind of popped up out of nowhere. 
I mean, overshadowing even the UN of all things. And it's just this small uh, clique of of like bankers and, and finance head and ac- finance heads and academics and some corporations that they've got under their thumb. That's it. Well, and some governors and mayors and oh yeah, Garcetti, the Machete, and Whitmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, these types of people. Newsom, yeah. Newsom, and, yeah. So it, yeah, their online persona. To your point about uh, hopefully the public can see through it. I, I think they do. At least the online. Uh, public sees through it because yes and no. look yeah, at but, the dislikes it, it get. Yeah, but uh, I, I would push back on that and say you could have one or two people that have a bunch of fake accounts that could do the same thing. Or what a about bunch the of Twitter bots. mobs? What, what about the Twitter mobs? I mean, look, it's no secret that if you're a uh, hell, if you even show any kind of inklings of conservatism on Twitter, they make every effort to throw you off. Or if you go against the the agenda, the talking points whatever it is, then your account's locked, you're suspended. Hell, the, the mRNA uh, vaccine inventor got locked out of his account the other day because he posted the truth about what mRNA vaccines actually do. And so they they locked him out for that. But if you look at even the Twitter post, the, the backlash of the World Economic Forum on Twitter is so yeah. horrendous that they actually have to alter their posts. Yeah, that one, like pushing back like I was that's devil, devil's advocate. I do think they are losing in this. Honestly, what I'm concerned with is just are they are they losing or are they are they going to disappear? Is this going to go away? Is this going to 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 stop anytime soon? And no, I don't, I don't think it is. Even even with all the backlash and everything, I, I don't think the corporations right now uh, combined with the governments have so much control. For example. Let's say everyone gets pissed off at YouTube or uh, Twitter or Facebook, and they all say, you know what, we're going to stop. We're, we're, we're just going to stop using them. You're a small percentage of the population that's going to, I mean, even if it's 30, 40 percent, hell, even if it's 50 percent, the majority of, of number one, you'll, you'll, get the, you'll be the undesirables that are off the platform. And the rest that are there is going to be an echo chamber, and it's going to be easier for them to wrangle control. And because they are so large, well, why don't you just go and start your own company, corporation or what, whatever, you know, start your own YouTube or Twitter or Facebook. It, you'll get shut down. You, you, you have to use your own services because if you use anything to do with Google or Amazon, they'll shut you down. Parler is a perfect example. So uh, I'm concerned that they've gotten to the point to where they do have just enough control that even if they do lose the narrative, they still have enough control that they can push it through anyway. Possibly. Yeah, I, I could see that route, too. So I, I, I wouldn't dismiss that at all. One thing's for sure. The desperation is real. Uh, the, the desperation is real and you, and you can sense it. You can see it regardless win or lose. They'll always double down. Would you believe we're out of time? No, time flew. Unbelievable. I didn't want to spend all day on one topic. I wanted to get to Fauci's emails today. That's a whole nother can of worms. But hopefully tomorrow, I tell you what, we'll get, we got Marty tomorrow. We'll get into Fauci's emails tomorrow with him. It's a shame because I'm sure he would love to talk about dear old Klaus. (laughs) He hasn't talked about him in a while. Yeah, but we'll talk about Fauci's emails tomorrow. Uh, Amazing, amazing the stuff that's come out about that. So we'll be talking about that. Uh, But anyway, all right, for those of you who have not signed up to our Telegram channel, get over there, get signed up to us. We put out all of our podcasts we do here every day. We also put out an exclusive podcast once a week just for our Telegram subscribers. However, we will not do that this week because we're doing a team building event on Friday and Saturday of this week. So we're not going to be available those days because, well, we just 
we need a little break and we need to we need to brush up on our communication skills, don't we? <laughs> so, yeah. What better way to do that than the, what we've got planned? Yeah. Looking forward to it. So yeah, get signed up to us on Telegram. Also, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so anytime by dropping us an email at tips at dynamicindependence.com. And we would ask you to pass along to friends, family, and associates. We are trying to grow, but we do need your help in order to do that. So if you can pass along, we'd appreciate that. We're available everywhere you get your podcast. Also, if you're rating podcasts, if you give us a rating when you get a chance, that would be great as well. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. All right, that'll do it for today. Thank you for being here today, Bruce. Thank you to all the listeners. Everyone have a great evening. We will see you tomorrow with Martin.